Okay, please be seated. Can I just express my thanks to your rector, Simon, and to you as a congregation for having me back at your service. I was here last September. I'm in Atlanta now for two weeks, uh, just doing a term at the Candler School of Theology, just a little bit up the road there at Emory University. The first text that was read today, as you will have noticed, was from the book of Isaiah. And just for a few moments today, what I want to do is to ask the question, what would a politics of healing look like in an American context? And also ask the question, can theology actually spill out from the rarefied atmosphere of church into the public space. Growing up in that Northern Irish context, even 21 years after the signing of the Good Friday Agreement, we still have to acknowledge quite succinctly that our violence took place in a very political context. Violence and counter-violence had roots in politics gone wrong. Toxic religion and vicious politics often merged and brought about dysfunctional community relations. So sectarianism was a way of life literally for centuries in the Irish context. Northern Ireland literally was a small, tiny sectarian cockpit. Let me ask you a question. Uh, what cockpits do you have in the United States today? And I want to suggest that a healing process to shape a better and shared future requires the naming of the pain and the release of moral imagination. Politics, power, and relationship are very significant factors in the healing of memories and the healing of hurts. Real change, let me suggest, takes place in the context of deep, meaningful relationships. And I want to suggest to you that the book of Isaiah provides an experiential and a theological model of a community process. The book, as many of you know, covers different areas in Israel's history. It spans over two centuries. And not surprisingly, when the Christian writers and communities wanted to articulate the significance of Jesus for them in their context, they frequently borrowed quotations, images, and metaphors from the book of Isaiah. In fact, chapters 40 to 55, they borrow more than any other Hebrew scriptures in the book of Isaiah. And so when the final shape and form of the book of Isaiah comes about, I believe it offers a model of pastoral experience and a process that takes seriously the politics of healing. And if you look at the whole book overall, the theological and the pastoral context has a sequence. We get critique, we get naming, and we get a release of the imagination. So, for example, 
chapters 1 to 39, we see the socio-economic and political critique of an unjust society. Interestingly, the key text was the text that was read to us. Isaiah 1, verses 10 and following. Then we see in chapters 40 to 55, we see a public naming of pain and loss, catastrophe, the traumatic experience of exile. We see the process of a hurting community and its displacement. Key text there, Isaiah 41 to 11. And then we look at chapters 56 to 66. We see a release of imagination to envisage a new beginning, a new future, rooted in inclusion, justice, and peace. But in reading these texts, let me underline, it is absolutely crucial that we avoid individualistic and a spiritualized reading of the text. Why? Because they are community-based texts. They're addressing community and public issues very critically and with immense imagination. So let me ask you as a church, is all saints applying theology into the public space? Because for those of us who live in the West, we know that individualism dominates most institutions and organizations. The cult of the person reigns supreme. If you recall back in September when I spoke here, when we were looking at racism and sectarianism and reconciliation, I was quoting the theological blogger Haggett who said that primarily white theology has a pathological individualism that it's rooted in me. There is a place, as I suggested, for the individual in theology, but we cannot read these Isaiah texts and work on the assumption that the spotlight is upon me as an individual. They are corporate community texts. And if you remember, I used that little phrase way back in September 2018, where I said that white Christianity suffers from a very bad case of Disney princess theology. <laughs> Each individual reads scripture, I am the princess in every single story. I am Peter, never Judas. I'm the woman anointing Jesus. I am never the Pharisees. I am the Jews escaping Egypt. I am never Egypt. So the Isaiah texts, let me underline strongly, are very community-based. They critique a society's past. They publicly name its pain, its trauma, and then they experience the release of imagination to envisage a new future. So question, how does Isaiah's model of community process help us in the Irish context deal with the politics of healing, but how does it help you in the United States the German philosopher Hannah Ardant suggests there are two primary requirements for people to live together. The first one, the willingness of people to make promises and agreements and to keep them. And secondly, the willingness to set aside the past 
the enmities and the vicious circle of action and reaction and start anew. So in my context, we are surrounded by the ghosts of the past. It's very difficult at times to imagine a new future. I often say there are actually two haunted houses in Ireland. Both of them need to be exercised from those blood-stained ghosts who hold us, it seems, forever in the past. Sean O'Casey once said, Beware of personal idealism. No matter how sincere it may be, it usually ends up in burning funeral fires and lamenting women. So how do these texts allow us to deal with the sores of history? What is the context in even allowing us to do that? Is it even possible to do that? So what are the legacies of the United States? How do you deal with these legacies? As an outsider looking in, I look at last weekend, and I remember, I think, on Monday morning or on Sunday afternoon when I was at the gym and I was on the cross trainer and I was watching Sky News and the, the mayor in Ohio said, we are number 250, and I assumed that she meant 250 in the last 10 years. It was only as the program progressed that no, it was 250 in the year 2019. And I often ask academia. I often ask politicians. I often ask religious leaders here. But particularly I ask the church today, because that is what has shaped me primarily as a human being. When are we going to allow our theology that some people think is a musty, fusty, dusty concept from the past to actually begin to spill out of the church into the public space? Or does the church in the United States have a fortress door mentality that once we've done our business of worship on a Sunday, we tuck it neatly into our breast pocket until the following Sunday? And all it simply breeds is apathy. We go home after church, we give the preacher points out of ten, the choir points out of ten, the decor points out of ten, but nothing else really changes. How do you turn your legacies in the United States into a national conversation? What does a national acknowledgement actually look like? What does a national effort look like? to write the foundations of your social relationships and your politics. South Africa is still imperfect. I know I have colleagues who work there, and I keep in touch with a number of activists. But at least they started the process of trying to come to terms with the brutality of apartheid, with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. In Germany, public schools teach even the youngest about the Holocaust, starting early to train young minds about how human beings can be cruel to other human beings. 
and how to hold one's nation to the highest standards of ensuring and respecting human dignity. There are monuments across Germany, in city streets, in public spaces, to the victims of the Nazis. So what monuments do we have in the United States? I was preaching last year, I think after I left you, or before you, I think it was after I left you. In St. Augustine, I did a kind of public symposium with the mayor and the chief of police and clergy. And I did comment as I walked along that waterfront in St. Augustine, unless you actually knew, it is impossible to realize that the city market there of another generation sold tens of thousands of people in that toxic theology called slavery. We walk past these spaces every single day, not even knowing the history that actually shaped our hometowns. Next year, I'm leading a conversation, a pilgrimage with a uh, black pastor from Bent Hill Church where I'll be preaching next Sunday. Eight to ten days, just reflecting on slavery, racism, and the civil rights movement. But I ask myself the question so much as I look at my legacy, as I look at words in the public space, and I think the difficulty is that the people that are dominating your public space are not people of faith, people of integrity. We need to hear words in the public space that will actually change people's lives. Because when I was here last year, I remember using Abraham Joshua Herschel's quotation where he said, it was words, not machines, that created Auschwitz. It was words, not machines, that created Auschwitz. And so as we look at Isaiah's text, I just simply want to ask you graciously, how long do we have to wait until the church has the moral courage, the moral imagination to spill into the public space and begin to make a difference? Because in my context, as I look as a young person living through and growing through 30 years of a bloody civil war that was rooted in bad religion and rooted in bad politics, I think you need to ask yourselves the question, honestly, deeply, and with integrity, how as a nation have we got to where we are? I must confess for the first time Ever, and I've been in the U.S. between 80 and 100 times. I said to my wife yesterday, for the first time, as we walked into Buckhead Mall, if someone starts shooting, Joyce, don't run straight, zigzag. <laughs> but I shouldn't be doing that. Because this space should not be the space that it is. You know that. I know that. But can Isaiah's moral imagination shape your imagination 
my imagination. As you wrestle with your legacies, and those of us in the Irish context wrestle with ours. Because if we don't, your bloodstained ghosts will haunt you for decades and hundreds of years to come.